Welcome to Seasonal Impressions. I'm Fez. I'm Brian. And we're back with a new episode and a new show. We're talking Twin Peaks Season 1 today. Finally, I'm so glad I got Brian to watch it. <laughs> what a weird, weird show. It's a short season for the first season. It's only eight episodes. Yeah. Season two is large. It's like 22, like a regular, like, standard order for most shows now. And the final season's also, like, it's an event series. Like, it's only, like, ten episodes or something like that. It's not too long. But it's the second season that's really, really long. And I think that's mainly because, like, ABC wanted more episodes. I'm still surprised this was only eight. The first episode is feature length. It's like a movie, like most Star Treks. It starts off with an hour and a half episode. So maybe they counted that as, you know, like nine. I don't know what a regular order was back then in 1989, 1990. Because that's when this first season came out. 91 was season two. That was like 22 episodes. Think, of, yeah. think back to like X-Files and all the old shows the on first Fox. first season of X-Files? Uh, how many episodes does that have? Maybe about 20, right? I think 20 to 22 was the standard wow. order. Hmm. Well, yeah, they, I guess they did have a short order for this then. Maybe maybe the pilot didn't sell the executives on what the idea of this weird, ethereal-feeling, dreamy <laughs> show is. I mean, I love this show. <laughs> and, like, yeah, I came to it late. I didn't see this as a kid because, you know, I was a kid. I think the only way to see this back then was on VHS. There was yeah. no streaming service. There was no DVDs of it. There was probably a few VHSs dropped, and that's it. That probably went out of circulation a long time ago. I did see season one and two in high school. I mean, sadly, you know, like I torrented it. You know, it was high school. <laughs> Sorry, guys. For, for, you know, forgive my, you know. Kaza and Yeah, Bear Share and, and everyone, Bear Share. Everyone remembers the golden age of stealing shit on the internet. You know, I don't do that shit anymore. I'm an adult. I pay for my shit. Plus, I have too many streaming services to steal shit. Plus, I'm too lazy to tour and shit without... Like, I'm not going to fuck up my laptop just because I want to see the new Harry Potter. Are you, you know? sure you want to download this episode from this man's computer across the world? No, it's okay, man. There's too much shit that they steal online now. I'm trying to steal my identity for an episode of Veronica Mars. No way, Jose. <laughs> well, season one of this was nuts. In my, like, episode one sets the pace of what the show feel is going to be like it's directed by david lynch he didn't direct every episode of the season like he did in season three season three directs every episode so that's like his total control but in he directs the first episode of this him and mark frost the two creators of the show wrote most of the episodes this mm -hmm. season like maybe about six out of the eight something like that so it's like bookends he david lynch directed the first one well and the, and the and the third one but and then mark frost directs the last episode the eighth one mark frost directed one okay that's cool. interesting yeah, I mean, Mark Frost also wrote the finale for season one. The first three episodes has David Lynch's full, like, hands in it. Like, he wrote the first three episodes. Mm -hmm. And that's why they're kind of the most... Um, like, the character the character markers of people just doing odd stuff to explain themselves, there's more of that in the first three episodes. And I think that's more of David Lynch's, like, you know, hand in the writing. Like, you know, like, the third episode has the whole, you know, I throw this rock at the bottle and I figure out who the killer is. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that, that's, that's an odd idea. Like, you know... The rest of the season just gets a little bit more, like the rest of the season after that, before the final episodes, more, less dreamy stuff, more investigatory, more like, hey, uh, peeping Tom type stuff. Like you see stuff from Audrey's point of view through the wall. You see people like eavesdropping on phones, you know, Martell, the wife. Yeah. You know. I could understand. Pete, Pete's wife. Like, she's. <laughs> she's <laughs> dead. <laughs> oh, that's not funny. <laughs> <laughs> there. There's a fish in the percolator. That's funny. Yeah, see, like, his his delivery is so great. I love his delivery. 
uh, his line, the way he just does his lines, the way he has his facial expressions, overly comical. Where some characters are extremely like serious, David, like his, like the way they directed the characters, the actors to play the characters in this show, is very. It's almost like some of them are very true to what you, of what you know of people, and some of it's almost like caricatures. It's hmm. kind of like almost like like Roger Rabbit. There's people <laughs> and there's cartoons. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like. Like, it feels like some of the characters in this universe are over-the-top, like, 50s, like, stereotypes of just feelings and emotions. Like, you know, like, Bobby is, you know, like the... Oh, he's the, the douchebag. He's the greaser. He's the greaser. <laughs> like, you know, like, leather jacket. Hey, baby, I got a, you know, I got a fast car, and I'm here, and I'm here, and I'll save you, and I'll shoot him for you. And then, you know, obviously, uh, Leo is the opposite of domestic bliss in one character you know he's he's you know the abuse at home all put into one he's just violence in a town mm -hmm. you know he's that problem Andy is the sweetheart who wants to help people he can't help himself but cry <laughs> whenever he something bad happens you know <laughs> it, it's it's a good show like that um, each character has their own like I, I get what people say that maybe that there's overacting in the show you know, we're like, oh, why did he hold the scene there for like three minutes seeing them cry and they're over pushing it? That's because, honestly, in times of trauma, haven't you seen people go a little, not, I mean, if you saw it on screen to feel like over the top, but in reality... Oh, like when Leland's dancing? Yeah, when Leland's dancing, or when his wife, when uh, Mrs. Palmer, like, screams and shouts, Yeah. but like in bursts. It seems funny to see on screen only because that's not how most people act it in movies and shows. But in reality, you've seen people like, you know, exhaust themselves mm -hmm. from screaming and that whenever they can get a breath out, it is a moan or a scream. You know, because they've seen something so traumatic or like they've just lost a family member. Like I've been to funerals where people yell like that, you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. especially if it's your child. She played that really, really like... That's the thing. Every every that actor, pilot was very rough. <laughs> oh yes, every actor in the show, they push it like the emotion is all the way up there. Like yeah, the characters that they have in this show are very of the archetype that they're supposed to have. Like Bobby is, you know, like we said, the the, the greaser guy. Like hey, you know, he, he's like mean Fonzie. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, Shelly Johnson, the girl that he's seeing behind Leo's back, Leo's wife. Is you know everybody's screwing everybody. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of uh, of entangled relationships in this show. Everyone's cheating on someone at some point. That seems to be the guilt of this show. I think because I mean David Lynch was raised in like the 50s, so this is definitely like him working out some stuff from himself. Kind of like how Pleasantville was like a a commentary on sex in a repressed era, like that. I think that's what this is supposed to ha it has. To, this is like uninhib un people who are like not as repressed like people who actually the, the dirty secrets of a suburban town you know what i mean mm -hmm. instead of like how most stories focus on one family this show is showing you like six families that are all cheating on each other and doing sneaky shit <laughs> and like selling drugs and bringing them over the border and the the department store is recruiting teenage girls to be prostitutes like it goes into human trafficking at a point and this is only in eight episodes it snowballs from just one murder of a girl and her diary just giving off hints to stuff. If I didn't know that going into it, if like if I had watched this in 1990, like, I probably would have been frustrated. Because <laughs> honestly, those eight episodes are just like, I can imagine watching those for the first time and expecting more and just being like, what? what, what that's it, that's it? That's it? Because it felt like they built up 
Especially with like entangling all the relationships, it felt like they built up way too much for eight episodes and it felt like an incomplete season. Because they didn't show you any resolutions of any. Yeah, there was. it was just like... That is true. No way one got anything resolved. Like it was way too much information. I mean... It all, I mean, it kind of came to a head and you kind of learned how they were, some of them were interconnected, but it still felt like a lot to throw at somebody for eight episodes. I thought this was going to be a longer season. <laughs> yeah, they didn't resolve anything. Like, it ends with, it ends with Audrey in a, dire, in, in a, you know, odd situation with her dad who's about to come in. Ugh. Because, you know, Ugh. she doesn't know. I mean, she just found out that her dad runs the place. You know, one-eyed jacks the bro- the the casino that has a sacred brothel on top. It felt like a mid-season finale. Okay, yes, I'll give you that. That's exactly what that feels like. It feels like a mid-season finale because it, it even sh- it even ends with you know spoiler alert if you're you know twenty-something years late. <laughs> um, like um, Kyle, Kyle McLaughlin gets shot, Agent Cooper gets shot, and that that is like a mid-season finale. Well, that could mm-hmm. be an end of the season finale type. You know, like end of the season type cliffhanger. That moment could have been, but everything. But the rest else, of it isn't. Yes, the rest of like, it. Like, hey, this is just enough to let you know that we'll be back in like six weeks. There's a lot of weird imagery in this show, which is cool. Even though on top on top of the on top of the the just the domestic violence and the the weird conspiracy and the the illegal shit that they're doing mm-hmm. in the casino. I mean, there's that one mystical a- aspect with Laura's death o- that you only see with her mom so far. Oh, yeah, where she's seeing the guy and... Yeah. Ugh. So far, you've only seen that with her mom. Um, and the one-armed man that they chase in the hospital, and then it turns out he's not really the version yeah, they're looking the for. Yeah, what the hell? All the, they, that's the stuff that I want to know more about. He was in the first episode, too, for one second, for one clip. He's in the elevator with them, and people always forget that, only because you don't notice him in the elevator with... Well, he's there... But you don't know that he's just not an extra. And then in episode two, when they make a point to mention oh, a one-armed man. man, you start noticing him everywhere. <laughs> but in the first episode, when when Coop, I think, first comes to see the body, the one-armed man's in that building. That's clever. <laughs> like, he's literally in the... I think the shot starts with him, and right behind him is Coop and the sheriff. Like, the shot is, like, he, he breaks the shot. But they never mention him. He just goes... You know, he walks one way out of the elevator, and the camera follows your main heroes the other way. Damn. And then in episode two is when they make a mention of him, and then you can't stop seeing him everywhere. You just start seeing him walk in the background. Was he talking all that gibberish, though? Oh, in the dream. Yeah. In Cooper's dream. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the dream. See, because when they found him in his hotel room, he's just a sweaty, one-armed guy with no no weapons or anything. He's a shoe salesman. That dream was so unsettling. (laughs) Just this little man shaking in the corner. Oh, the other dream? Oh, yes. Yeah. When he goes into the red room. I don't know what the hell was gonna happen when he went. I don't know what the hell was gonna happen when he turned around. The way that David Lynch's team—I don't know if he did the sound for that episode, because I know he doesn't. Oh, he had to. They—they they had to learn those words backwards. Oh, they definitely messed with the sound, the, the the audio in that episode. I just don't know if it was Lynch himself who did it, or if he had like his like if he wrote it down. If they wrote it down, the writer wrote it down, and the uh, like they had his own crew do it. Because I know in season three he controlled all of the music and all of the sound. And you'll, and you'll hear that's very atmospheric. Like, the way he presents a, a story, it's like you're outside the box. You're not... You're learning the shit along with the character. Yeah, I notice that a lot. They'll be like... They'll be coming back from somewhere, or... 
they'll say that they've done something a day ago and yeah. you're just like you're picking up with them like oh okay I guess they did do that thing and this is where we're at now yeah you catch along with them mm -hmm. you don't see and you don't see every single bit like you're you're where they are if there's a meeting you're at the important meeting <laughs> you know like if there's like some sneaky stuff maybe you'll see that and even then sometimes you might see that from a different character's point of view where you don't see all of it it's an interesting style of storytelling in this show. That's what really drew me to the show. Like when I started watching it, before before season three was coming out, I was like, oh. And then they did the announcement for season three. I was like, fantastic. Like, <laughs> I didn't, this is a show I thought would never come back. Uh, I had to go see the movie right away because I didn't see the movie <laughs> until I knew season three was coming. That was fantastic as well. Fire walk with me. Yeah. We're going to have to watch that. Oh, we definitely will. We'll do a whole separate episode for that and... Um, the audiobook, because I do have an audiobook for uh, Agent Cooper's all of his messages to Diane that he records on his um, microphone, on his uh, tape recorder. It gives you a new look into his process, as well as some some hints and stuff that weren't in the show that actually get brought up later on in season two and stuff. You're like, oh, cool, wow, this was hinted there. This sh the one thing that was weird about this season, the one thing that made me go like, okay, that was a kind of odd idea to do. Uh, like okay, the second the the cut uh, Maddie, Laura's cousin. Matt, yeah, that, like that feel I get I get the weird like joke and the weird duality of it that they're supposed to add to it. But when they when they tried to use her to entrap Doctor Jacoby, that was the part that I found weird. I was like, that's kind of far fetched that this man would kind of believe that this dead girl that he went to her we saw him come to her funeral separate alone. You know, Agent Cooper confronts him because he came by himself. We know he was there. It's an invitation to love. Yes, that's cool. I like, I, like the, I like how they always show that in the background. It's interesting to see that, like, the oddness of that play off into their world. An odd TV show. Just an, an even odd odder opera. TV show within the world. It is a dark soap opera. That's what Twin Peaks plays like. A very dark soap opera. Mm -hmm. It's the soap opera with the stuff you don't see in a in a... It's the stuff that happens in a house that's full of domestic abuse and pain. It's the stuff that you wouldn't see on camera because it's the parts that people don't like writing down. It's the parts that, when it does happen in a movie, it happens like through the eyes of a ca of a kid like looking over through the stairs or something. It's never in the scene. You're never there for the trauma. Whereas this show, you're kind of in the room while like the mom is in pain. You're in the room when the dad is having a freak out. Yeah. You're there to see the. The, the worst of it. The parts that would be private, usually. The stuff that even, like, in movies they don't show you, because it might be a little bit too rough and change the tone of the movie. He lets you sit and stew in it. He doesn't cut away from it quick. They don't cut away from it quick at all in the show. Yeah. I wouldn't say it's hard to watch, but some of it's... Some of it's pretty rough. <laughs> when, yeah. when they do, especially the cuts that he does. Oh, the, the way it's... The jarring like, cuts yeah. where, like, it'll be... Not even necessarily silent, but all of a sudden he cuts to something and it's just like really loud sound. Like, hey, wake up. Yeah. Like, uh, to something in the sawmill or something. Yeah. Getting cut. The sawmill is an interesting, you know, you know, over arc. Like, that's the story that just keeps going. The sawmill, which is somehow, co which is now connected to... The it, Canadian drug trade. The Canadian <laughs> drug trade. Which, and the Canadian drug trade's connected to One-Eyed Jacks. It's just a circle of crime happening, and pretty much like three characters are all lying to each other about it. Like Peter Horn, 
Le uh, Leo and um, Miss Martell. Oh, what's his name? I just came back from uh... his brother. No, 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 no. He's a great character. Norma's husband. Oh, uh, what the hell is his name? Like, he, yeah, he has sneaky stuff too. Hank. Hank's back from parole. Hank's yeah. back out on parole. Hank. Hank with the drug trade. See that? Yeah, he, he he's part of the drug trade, which came out of nowhere. You knew he was going to be bad news, but like he was deep in it already. He was very deep in it before he got locked up, apparently. See, that's the thing. You learned that along with the moment of the show. You they, She didn't, like, his wife didn't mention it. You know, like, uh, they, yeah, Norma didn't mention it at all. She didn't mention it to Ed. Her and Ed only had one conversation about it. Big Ed. Poor Big Ed. He's just trying to do good. You know what I mean? He won't even leave his wife because she's in pain. You know what I mean? Like, because he knows he needs her, even though he's been cheating on her. That's the bad thing mm. he's done. That's, once again, more real entangled relationships in the show. It's about, like, Ed's the only person who's not lead, the only one who still tries to do his responsibility. Well, I was actually undercover. I wasn't just seeing Norma. Oh, yeah. Right, right. Right, Big Ed. Him and the Bookhouse Boys. Which is also funny. That was also an odd thing to add, but it's an interesting thing. That's an interesting angle to add. That's a very soap opera angle to add. Oh, by the way, in this town of weird stuff that might have a haunted, cursed woods, uh, turns out there's a secret society of good of do-gooders called the Bookhouse Boys. And guess what? The sheriff is a vigilante. <laughs> they just drop it off like in the middle of nothing. Like no one has a problem with it. Cooper, who is an FBI agent, has no problem working with I this. like it. <laughs> yeah, cool. Secret society? Beating up, kidnapping bad guys? Sure. Because the first thing they do is kidnap Jacques' brother. Jacques Renault. Yeah, who's oh, a, yeah, yeah. who's that guy plays him like a sleazeball. Oh man. He's like the zoom in on his teeth. Yeah, and the way he's, he's like, like his soul. Describing he's the worst parts of it. And he's salivating at times too. Like the way his lips are wet. That's what they accentuate the gross parts of him that just make him seem more of a monster. Like the way like and the look in his eyes. That that actor is good. He knows how to just go like I will say that. They casted this show exactly the way they needed it to. I have to say, the first thing I saw him in was... Uh, was it Kyle MacLachlan? Yeah. He was... The uh, first thing I saw him in was actually Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Really? So this is like... Well, I, the first... Completely newfound respect for him. Like, he is my absolute favorite character. Oh, yeah. Couldn't have asked for show? a better weirdo. Fantastic. Even more so than Audrey and her stupid dance. <laughs> Which is actually the name of the track I found out today. What? It's, it's called Audrey's Dance. Oh, the, oh, the song. Do, 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 do. Oh, yeah, when she just, uh, like, doesn't this where, music sound where? dreamy? <laughs> She's a great character, too. She's played really, really, really well. <laughs> Sherilyn Fenn, awesome actress. This show really casted their actors really well. Kimmy Robertson's great as Lucy. I love her as the as the dispatch girl at the at the... At the police station. Her and Andy's relationship is so comical and sweet at the same time. Oh my god, yeah, she's pregnant. <laughs> yeah. Andy's go got for trouble. It, go for it, go for it. See, no one escapes drama in this show. That's the thing. Even Andy. He just turned around and put his head out. down. Oh, oh man. The sheriff's a good actor too. I think this is like his first time acting. I don't know. I don't I've never seen him in anything else. But, you know. Great character name also. Harry S. Truman. That's a good joke, okay? He's named after a president. <laughs> That's fine. That's just a silly, like, normal, like, odd joke. Like, you know, Sheriff Abraham Lincoln. That's funny. <laughs> it's a good show. It's gonna get weirder in season two, I'm gonna tell you that. Oh, man. I can't wait for it to... I just, like, it, there's so much more room for it to open up. Oh, yeah. 
<sighs> Hawk is my uh, Hawk. Hawk, you're gonna love him. He he has good bits in season one, but season two and season three, when they show him do more of the investigative stuff, you're like, yeah, man, that's the guy. Like that's the brains of the operation. Him and Cooper really the guy. Michael Horse plays Hawk. That's who Michael Horse is. That is Michael Horse. <laughs> yep. Crazy to think the show, the first two seasons before it came back was only thirty episodes. It built a good cult. It built a crazy cult following too that kept it alive, which is odd because other than VHSs, it wasn't around. But I can see why people like to sit down and break down this show. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is David Lynch's foray into TV after you know doing stuff like Eraserhead and The <laughs> Elephant Man, and I, he did a, a Disney movie about a man who rides a lawnmower yeah, across the country. Man. The lawnmower that man. Was, there you uh, go. That was that was after this. That was that was recently, but yeah. Really? That's, oh, it was after that's his Disney. I don't remember what year it was, but, but he did a Disney movie. David Lynch's yeah, Disney, like two thousand five or something. Yeah. Lawnmower man, David Lynch, a Disney film. <laughs> we might talk about that on another podcast, but yeah, we're gonna dive back into Twin Peaks season two. Uh, actually, we're going to start it up. We haven't even started it. I've seen it. I love it. So this is just my rewatch. This is my annual rewatch of Twin Peaks, <laughs> and I'm glad to bring Brian along. And you, too, if you have never watched it before. It's on Netflix. I'm pretty sure Showtime might have it because they're the only people who have season three. Yeah. So, yeah, check out Twin Peaks, dude. It is it is buggy and weird. And, yeah. Definitely have a lot more thoughts on the larger season. Oh, yeah, because season eight, like, like it, I mean, season one, sorry, <laughs> not season eight. Season one was only eight episodes. There wasn't, there was so much, it, it, it literally felt like the first third of a season. It was a lot happening, and then, you know. Suddenly. Suddenly, the main main character gets shot, and we'll see you next year. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll be back with a new episode later, but right now we're going to watch Twin Peaks. I've been Fez. I'm Brian. Thank you for tuning in to Seasonal Impressions. Seasonal Impressions is a For Your Eyes to Eat production. Check out ForYourEyesToEat.com for free comics, photography, poetry, and more.